How to manage emotional triggers? Interview with Rena Purify. Have you ever done something that you question later? Why did I do this? Maybe it was triggered by some past emotions. How do you recognize those emotions? How do you manage them? How do you change your response? Would you like to learn? Then you're in the right place. Our guest today is going to share how to manage negative emotional triggers so that you can have better relationships both at home and work. So stay tuned. You're watching Happy and Healthy Mind, episode 125. Renoi Purifoy is a licensed marriage and family counselor. He has helped people with anxiety for 20 plus years and then taught at a college for 20 more years. Now he shares his wisdom in his books and his speaking. He's the author of four books and his latest is Why You Feel the way you do. And I am your host, Dr. Rosina Lakhani. You see, over the last 26 years, I have been helping people with depression, anxiety, and burnout. And what I have found is that many times underlying problems for all these illnesses is stress and how we think. I believe that our mind is the software that runs the hardware of our brain and our body. Therefore, in these programs, we share practical tips for mental fitness. If you need specific medical advice, please consult your healthcare professionals. But if you find this content helpful, then join our mission of eradicating preventable suffering by liking, subscribing, and sharing so more people can live their best life with hope, health, and happiness. So let's learn from our guests. So thank you so much for joining us today. Well, thank you for inviting me. It's, it's just a pleasure to be here. You're welcome. Yeah, so before we jump into our topic, tell us how did this topic become important in your life? Well, I, I, I've been interested in just behavior and emotions ever since I was a little kid. My parents came from farming backgrounds, so we had chickens, rabbits, and dogs, cats, a parrot, and other things. And so uh, I, I studied, uh, you know, uh, in, in theology, which is animal behavior uh, in college uh, for my master's, or I mean for my BA, for my lower division work, and then got my master's in counseling uh, and uh, through that working with anxiety disorders just this whole idea of triggers and you know and how that works in with people with panic attacks and things of that nature just uh, kind of kept evolving mm -hmm. uh, to where I'm at today. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Wonderful we are so blessed to have you with us today. So tell me you know can you give me an example or a case study what kind of problems did you see when people do not manage their emotional triggers. Well, when I talk about it in, in the book from that I had over when I lived in Japan, we, we lived there for two years. Uh, uh, my wife and I, right after we got married, and uh, we go into a, a department store over there, and it just took a few minutes before I got real crabby and started, you know, picking at her. And uh, you know, your spouse will point out things like that to you. They're they're very kind in that way, <laughs> and. Uh, you know, as, as I reflected on what was going on, I, I realized that uh, I, my Japanese was just very rudimentary and a lot about the culture I didn't understand. And so I was actually feeling embarrassed. And at that time, for me, embarrassment was not okay. And so I would convert that to getting crappy and irritated. <laughs> you know, we, we cover a lot of things up with anger. Uh, that's a very common thing. And so once I kind of realized that, uh, I started using a little uh, technique that I use a lot with my clients, uh, which is what's happening and what's real. And so what was happening, I would say, I'm feeling embarrassed because I don't know how to respond. And what's real is, you know, my wife's just fine. You know, she's just doing her thing. 
and I don't need to be poking at her. So just allow yourself to experience the embarrassment and it would go pretty quickly and then I'd be okay. And the, the interesting thing is once you get things that have been blocking in the past and you just learn to get in touch with them and just flow through them, then you can now behave in an appropriate way for whatever's going on around you. As long as you're busy suppressing all that stuff, then you'll start to do uh, some kind of robotic behavior to cover it up because you don't have all your mental energy there. It's, it'll, so much of it's being spent to kind of suppress all that stuff you don't want to deal with. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. A little different from a trigger, but it's uh, it's kind of related to the same technique I've, I've used a lot with triggers with people. So if people would apply this technique, they can improve their relationship with their spouse? And and at work, I mean, people have things at work where certain types of clients or certain situations will set them off. And I, I had one lady I worked with who came from an abusive background, and she found that her supervisor had a tone of voice and just some mannerisms that reminded her of the abusive parent. And so she would go into meetings and she would just get all anxious and, you know, stuff. And so we use that same what's happening, what's real technique. So what's happening is he feels like my parent. What's real is he's just my supervisor. You know, he's he's not going to be beating me up or, you know, do mean things to me. We're just going to go over the weekly schedule. And so she would use that self-talk as a tool, one of several tools to manage the anxiety she was feeling and to kind of come out of the past, that time tunnel of going into the past and get into the present. And after a while, she desensitized and she actually got a pretty good relationship with him eventually. Wonderful, wonderful. Yeah, so you're already teaching us some of these practical tools. Let's kind yeah. of go into a little more deep, share some more tips in terms of how how we can recognize these negative emotional triggers. Mm -hmm. And before we actually jump into that, what are emotional triggers? Well, I, I, I think it's important to understand a little bit about how you know emotions and memories work. Um, your, your brain makes associations from even in the time you're in the womb about good things and bad things. And a lot of times we're unaware of how unconscious we are about a lot of the stuff that's going on. I mean, you walk down the road or in your house and your brain is not only coordinating your body, but it's looking out for anything that's been associated with danger or a good thing. And when it notices those things, it immediately pops it up into your conscious mind so that you can start to deal with it. Uh, and unfortunately, sometimes associations with things that are normal and, and good become associated with something that's dangerous. Uh, uh, Post-traumatic stress disorders is the classic example where you're in a car accident, let's say, and all of the sights and sounds and things that are going on at that moment now become associated with danger. So you get into a car or you start to get in certain situations that are similar to where the accident occurred, and now anxiety comes up because your brain has associated it with danger. And I think to understand that even further is understand the role that emotions play in memory. Emotions are kind of the way that your brain indexes uh, information. So when things occur that are either very positive or negative, it gets an emotional tag, if you will. And that's how, again, the, the brain sorts out what's important, what's not important, which is why experiential learning is more valuable than just simply book learning. And again, the example I often use is driving a car. I can read all of the things that there are to know about driving a car, and I can intellectually know them. But until I get behind the wheel and, oh, that didn't work, oh, this feels good, and the brain starts to associate these are good things and these are bad things, 
then it can now take over and do that all automatically so I can listen to the radio or I can talk to somebody because the brain has been able to sort that information into a usable form for it. Mm -hmm. uh, and so that's basically what a trigger is. A trigger is something that is safe and normal that has been tagged as dangerous. And so now you react to it when you're in that situation. So what kind of, what, give us some examples of those emotional triggers. Well, one of the ones I used was uh, uh, some people that uh, were in a plane that got struck by lightning. And there's this big, big old crash and everything. It's frightening. And so the next time you go on the flight, there's some anxiety, right? That's and right. One person is able to manage it so that they can get comfortable flying again. And the other person, they get to the point where they can no longer fly. And both of them happen to be uh, people that worked with uh, jobs where they required them to fly a lot. And that would be an example of a trigger. Again, the, the experience of having the lightning hit the plane, and even though there was no harm to anybody and the plane landed safely, again, it's just a frightened experience so that now planes become associated with danger so even thinking about the flight or getting ready for the flight now will trigger some anxiety what determines whether it takes on a life of its own or not has a lot to do with how you react the person who's able to fly again they react to it again with that what's happening what's real idea of well you know that was really scary what happened to me but i did land safe and i'm going to be fine on this next flight so i don't need to worry about it and then you distract yourself you shift to something positive let me get busy packing or thinking about what i'm going to be doing you know at my destination the person where it becomes a crippling trigger will start to escalate it oh my gosh that was frightening i don't know if i can do this again and they'll start catastrophizing it and then the more they build it up in their mind they're reinforcing that association between plane and danger and I know when I worked with anxiety disorders, I saw this all the time. People do a lot of what we call emotional reasoning, where they are judging things based on how they feel as opposed to objective fact. The example that I would run into a lot with people who had panic attacks is they would hyperventilate, so they would have a fear that they're going to pass out. So you'd ask them, what are the odds that you might pass out? Well, oh, maybe 50%. So then you ask them, how often have you passed out in life? Well, I've never passed out. So, <laughs> so based on reality, it's very low, but based on how they feel, then it's very high. And so it's, the next thing you say, so how bad it would it be if you passed out on a scale of one to 10? Oh my gosh, it'd be like a 12 or 15. It would be the worst thing I can think of. Well, let's put at a 10, something like having your arm cut off or your kid die or having a waste and disease. If that's a 10, how bad is passing out given nothing bad is going to happen other than you're going to maybe be embarrassed when you, you know, the oxygen and CO2 get balanced back in, in your bloodstream. Well, now it becomes maybe a one or a two, right? So people do emotional reasoning. They exaggerate the likelihood and they exaggerate how bad it's going to be. And then they never get to step two or three and four, which is what can I do to prevent it? What could I, how could I cope with it if it were to happen? And so a lot of what I would do is, you know, we would work through people through those things and then condense it down into a simple coping self-statement, something they could tell themselves when that thought came up. So again, back to the airplane trigger, it's the same idea, the what's happening, what's real, positive shift. Okay, what's happening is, you know, I'm having this response to that, or even like when I was in Japan, right? What's happening is I'm embarrassed. I don't like being embarrassed, but I can stand it, you know? And once I allow myself to be embarrassed, I can then now shift my thinking and my behavior to dealing with reality as opposed to trying to not be embarrassed, right? 
-hmm. or in the plane crash, the plane lightning example, again, what's happening is I'm having that just con that condition response to the lightning strike. It will dissipate over time. I don't need to be concerned about it. I'll be safe. And now let's focus my mind back on something positive. So it's it's kind of a general technique that for simple triggers works pretty effectively. And again, if you've got more complex things where there's like a, a lot of childhood abuse, sometimes there's other things you need to work with in addition to it. But it's a very simple technique that I've, I've used very effectively with a lot of people. Mm -hmm. Wonderful. So let's kind of see one of our audience is listening to this program and they struggle with an emotional trigger that anytime somebody is not doing things perfectly or they're not being punctual and it kind of triggers them and they become angry. And I right. think one of the major issue that people or, or behavior that people elicit is anger. You are talking about that different emotions can trigger different response. So sometimes you talk about core response pattern. Mm -hmm. Tell us what is... We talked about what is emotional trigger. Mm -hmm. What is the core response? Well, again, we develop automatic behaviors for just all kinds of stuff in our life. I mean, just simple act of eating, brushing your teeth. And in a similar way, the way we've learned to tell stories about ourselves, to relate to people, uh, a lot of that's modeled from our parents. Um, so core response patterns can be something, as you were talking about, getting angry when somebody is late. Maybe that's a response pattern. What I would do is, first of all, there's like two issues that go on here. One is that a lot of times people have some should, must re rules. You know, people should be punctual, you know, and so people break that rule and then you get angry about it, right? Anger and fear are both kind of flip sides of, of the same coin. They're both related to threat, right? And again, I use those words in a very broad sense. Fear ranges from just apprehension to panic, and anger can rage, range from irritation to rage. It's just how high the dial is turned up, right? But they're the same basic, two, two basic responses we have to threat. And if the threat is manageable, I want to get rid of it, so I'll get irritated or angry. If the threat is unmanageable, I'll become apprehensive or fearful, and I want to somehow avoid it, right? And sometimes we don't know because they're both there. An interview I'm going to go into, I'm pretty confident, but you never know. So there's those unknowns. So I got, you know, a little bit of apprehension, but at the same time, I'm, I'm okay with it. So getting back to the, the, the perfectionism or, or the punctuality, I, I think it's identifying where does that come from? And something like that almost always has to do with modeling from parents, right? Oftentimes you had a parent where, uh, I mean, I had military parents, right? So we always got places early. You know, being punctual was a very super important thing. And so I still am kind of that way. And so I find it's useful to have a simple one or two sentence description of why this is going on in your life. Well, I have this rule that people should be on time and I have to be on time because that's the way my family was. And so that's my background. Understanding that should must rules like that are not always bad. Sometimes they're very useful. I mean, at work, uh, in a lot of situations, uh, they're important. They keep you employed, right? They, they help you be more successful. It's when they become rigid rules that I have to be on time and people have to be on, you know, punctual and keep their appointments the way they're supposed to when it becomes a problem, that rigid thinking. 
And so what I like to do is get people to start thinking, it's not I have to be on time, but I like to be on time or I want to be on time. When your life is ruled by a lot of these should must rules, it's like this invisible parent is following you around, making you do something you don't want to do. When I was teaching, I, I would tell students, well, you know, you don't have to, you don't have to do your homework. And of course they would say, well, but, 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 but if I don't, then, then, then I'm not going to pass and then I won't graduate. And then this is what I have. So you're choosing to do the homework because you have a benefit you want. It comes down to life as a series of choices. We do things because we get some good stuff or we avoid some bad stuff. Once you start saying, you know, I wish this person would be on time or I would like to be on time, but they're not. So what am I going to do about it? See, you, you shift your thinking as opposed to they're not on time. I can't stand it. Why, why can't they be on time? And you get into what we call circular why questioning, right? Uh, why is this person late? How can... And usually when I'd see clients do that, I'd say, so why do you think that's happened? And they'll give me a perfectly reasonable explanation. It's just that they got this rigid rule about the way things should be. And that rule was broken. And again, you can have rules that are useful and they're important. But in reality, when the rule is not there or it gets broken, you got to decide how am I going to respond as opposed to staying fixated on it's not the way I want it to be. It's not the way I want it to be. You see this in the news all the time when an accident occurs, right? And they'll find somebody who's just all distraught and they'll stick that microphone in front of them. You know, how do you feel about that? Well, I don't understand. How could this happen? Well, accidents happen, you know, and they're tragic, but they do happen as part of life. What am I going to do about it? And that's a lot of what, what I did with clients is become what I call a positive realist. You know, sometimes life is crummy, but we still have to decide how am I going to respond to it as opposed to it's not the way I want it to be. It's not the way I want it to be. You know, how can this happen? Well, it happened. What am I going to do about it? So, so getting back to, again, the response pattern. So you've got this response pattern where you are very rigid. So it came from my parents. So let me identify some places where that comes up in my life. And this is a kind of what we call a behavioral approach. And it's very effective. And the more specific you can become, then the better. Okay, I'm anxious. And I get angry when I'm going someplace and there's traffic. I get uh, upset with my wife when she says five more minutes and it's going to be take. Actually, I know it's going to take 10 minutes, right? <laughs> uh, I get upset with my kids when they're dawdling, you know, and, I, and I'm, I'm late for something. I'm trying to get out the door. I get it. And so you come up with a whole lot of list of situations where this happens to you. And then you decide what are some opposite positive behaviors I can do? And what are some things I can tell myself? Well, I can start to tell myself that, okay, kids are kids. I, I either need to get them started earlier, or if this is happening, I just need to accept that this is reality, the traffic or whatever. What am I, how am I going to respond when I get to where I'm going to get too late. You know, I can explain, I can call ahead, I can take a different route. Uh, I can just turn on the radio and just accept it. But I can accept, I can tell myself that being late is not the end of the world. And this, in most cases, it's not going to amount to hill of beans, right? Especially a lot of the casual things that we do where we get upset about. So I come up with some specific things that are meaningful to me that I can tell myself. And I put them on a card and I just read them Oh, once a day for maybe a week or so. So they get into my head and what'll happen is you'll start to go into that behavior and you'll say, wait a minute, it's not that big a deal. Just chill out, find something to do and you know, it'll be okay. I mean, I, I like to joke when I'm 
get a line waiting or someplace that people say, well, I'm sorry, it's taken so long. I'll say, you know, I've been married 49 years. I'm, that's why I'm a patient man, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I've, I've learned patience. So, you know, but, but again, these things actually work very well. And, and I've had a lot of people with anxiety disorders, you get a lot of people that are perfectionistic and they, they have a lot of should must rules. And you really can soften that a lot and understand too that being rigid thinking has a lot to do with how you were raised and in some situations it's important if you're in a society or place where you know bad things happen if you don't adhere to the rules then being rigid about how you manage your life is super important and there's a lot of places in the world where that's true if you don't follow the rules of the authorities like in china you got your your social indexes, if you say the wrong thing or do the wrong thing, really bad stuff happens. So you got to be very careful about how you respond to stuff. And I like to joke that my parents were both good depression era parents. And back then, a lot of the rules that they had were super, super important if you're going to get your food and maintain your job and stuff. And so they, they tend to be rigid about a lot of that stuff. And that's, that's where some of my stuff originally came from. I've, I've, I've softened a lot over the years. I mean, work, working with the stuff with people helps you internalize a lot of it yourself. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So we learn from what we are teaching. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Sometimes when I'm kind of talking about this stress management or mindfulness and stuff, you know, I tell myself, Rosina, you need to hear yourself yeah. <laughs> because you need yeah. to apply these things in your life too. You know, and that's, I think, an important point when you're working with things like this is you never totally eliminate them you know those response patterns that they may quiet down become dormant but they will sometimes re-emerge and usually it's when you're sick hungry tired or stressed and that's important to understand because they're kind of like the little light bulbs on your car right when you notice yourself doing some of those old behaviors a lot of times it's just a signal that you know you need to take a look at the stress in your life and start to set some priorities where am i going to put my energy I would use the analogy that your body is a machine with a limited amount of energy. And some days your tank is full, some days your tank is half empty. And on those days when it's half empty, I've got to learn to just focus on what's important because when you're stressed out and those frontal lobes aren't working well and your, your reasoning ability, the little stuff seems to become super important. You know, the things that your your mate does that irritate you, really irritate you, you know, <laughs> on a day when you're, you're relaxed and calm, it's no big deal, right? And so yeah. all that stuff, a lot of times, it's just simply a message that you're stressed out, let go of all, everything except what's important. If you're dealing with kids, you know, just maintain order. If you're at work, deal with what needs to be done right now and let all the other stuff slide until when you're less stressed out. Mm -hmm. uh, super important. I call it like, you know, your emotional coping account balance. So yeah, yeah, you know, we yeah. have emotional... We have our emotional coping account. So like, you know, when the withdrawals are more and the yeah, deposits yeah. are less, yeah. your your balance is low. So right now you just need to take care of the basic and then put more deposits so yeah. that you can handle more things. So let's kind of uh, summarize and remind people. So we talked about emotional triggers. And so emotional triggers are... Basically, you're responding to something that's safe and normal as if it's not. So you're either doing a behavior that is going to interfere with your life in some way or damage relationships or you and oftentimes it can, it's accompanied with either anger or or some kind of anxiety mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So. and then the core response patterns are the patterns 
of emotions and behavior that have developed over years because of right. emotion and memory association. Something right. got uh, usually, usually childhood childhood experiences for the most part. Usually the things you learn from your parents, the things that uh, happened to you as you grew up. And, and again, we have positive response patterns. I mean, and, and again, when we get to some of the more serious ones, like somebody who's experienced maybe a, a lot of abuse, maybe they've learned that conflict is dangerous, right? And so as an adult, they uh, avoid conflict. And so we would label that, okay, Mm-hmm. The response pattern is conflict is dangerous. And again, the, the four steps is why this happened. Well, this happened why because this happened? of uh, my childhood experiences. If I spoke up, bad things happened to me. Mm-hmm. Okay, where does it occur? And be very specific when I'm in the restaurant. You know, somebody says I shouldn't eat that. I go along with it. I don't speak up at work and just come up with a whole lot of list of specific situations. What are the opposite behaviors? Okay, well, I can... I can eat whatever I want to. I need to start practicing saying at least something at work. And you come up with little things that are easy and you start practicing them, basically desensitization. Mm -hmm. And then along with that, the fourth thing is have things to tell yourself. You know, I have the right to speak up. I have the right to have my own decisions, uh, things of that nature. Wonderful. So why this happened? What are the places it is happening and causing problems? What are some of the things I can do? Right. used to do differently and what can i say to myself mm-hmm. to change my mindset right. wonderful and so what is your best advice to people what what <laughs> one one take home message well you know people can change most people don't because they don't take the steps to change or they don't see it's important or they don't think they can change if you've got something going on in your life that is seriously interfering with your relationships or your work, find some help. You know, there, there's a lot of resources out there, things like this, you know, this this program, a lot of individuals. If you're situated in a situation where in, in, in a rural country or someplace where there's not a lot of people available, nowadays there's a lot of online help that's available. So if life is tough, find some help because it can, it can get better. I've seen it with just so many people. Yeah. Now, sometimes and it just takes a little thing to make it better. Yeah, and the help could come in form of reading a book or listening yeah. to podcast yeah. or talking to a family or friend or see, seeking a therapist or counselor. Yeah. Wonderful. And so if people want to learn more about your message, how can they reach you? Easiest place, go to my website. It's whyemotions.com, whyemotions.com. And you've got links to my books. I've got some freebies there, links into my um YouTube channel where I've got a lot of different videos and different things and just all kinds of stuff. So whyemotions.com and everything about me (laughs) is there. And thank you for sharing the gift that you're going to share with our audience. And so a gift that we're getting today is sheets to change negative core response patterns. So what are people going to get when they download this gift? Well, essentially, it's something I pulled out of the book, and it's uh, it just runs through the four things we talked about, how to make a, a simple explanation for what's going on, how to identify specific behaviors, how to come up with opposite positives that you can practice, and then how to develop what we call coping self-statements, things you can tell yourself to help to motivate you and, and help you to do those new behaviors. Wonderful, wonderful. Thank you so much. Mm-hmm. And if you're listening to this program and you like this resource, please go to happyandhealthymind.com mm-hmm. resources 
and you should be able to download all the wonderful gifts our guests shared on this program. If you enjoyed this program, tell us in the comment section, what is one best thing that you learned over here? If you liked it, give us thumbs up. And if you think it can help somebody else, please share. And let me leave you on this message. Today, you get the choice to either stay the same or take one step to change your life yeah. to a better. What are you going to choose? Are you going to stay stuck in your old response pattern, getting triggered emotionally that may be affecting your relationships or your work? Or you're going to apply some of the tools that you learned today to identify these emotional triggers and modify your response pattern so you can improve your relationship and overall happiness in life. On that message, stay safe, happy and healthy. Until next time, Dr. Rosina. And thank you for joining us today. Thank you.